If you are looking to continue developing your coaching skills or have a new coach that you'd like to train or onboard, check out our upcoming activity coaching clinics. We are hosting both our basics and advanced clinics every Monday for our basics clinic and Tuesday for our advanced clinic from 1.30 to 3 Central Standard Time. It runs October 2nd through November 6th, and you can learn more and register at heatherpriceconsulting.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Activity Coaching Conversations with Heather and Sabina, where we discuss coaching strategies for the overachievers, the slow starters, and everyone in between. We're going to share everything we know about instilling early success habits, the science behind activity, and how to build a values-based, FR-centered coaching philosophy. Activity Coaching Conversations is all about balancing accountability with the art and science of coaching. Happy New Year, everyone, and Happy New Year to you, Sabina. How are you? Happy New Year to you, too. I am awesome. I'm feeling really good about 2024. Me, too. I always love a new start. Uh, Any Mm -hmm. New Year resolutions or New Year's resolutions for you in 2024? You know, I don't. I don't. I just think I think growing and learning is a continuous process. So I just like to be open to opportunity. I agree. I agree. So obviously, we've just wrapped up the season of planning. I don't know about Mm -hmm. the reps that you worked with, but many of them that I was working with were very focused on the upcoming year, as they should be. Mm -hmm. I am actually not that I'm not big on planning. I am, but I'm actually bigger on reflection. We've heard Mm -hmm. me say a thousand times reflection turns experience into insight. And so when I was helping advisors do planning for 2024, I would say at least half of our time spent was on reflection and really looking Mm -hmm. back on 2023 and what we learned and what insights we gathered. And somebody who was in one of my planning sessions actually sent me a screenshot of a post on uh, Twitter, I guess it's X now it's called, from Tim Ferriss. And the quote said, I'm often asked about how I approach New Year's resolutions. The truth is that I no longer approach them at all, even though I did for decades. Why the change? I have found that past year reviews, or PYRs, to be more informed, valuable, and actionable than half-blindedly looking forward. I love that. Me I love too. that. And it's it's kind of timely because... I was at the beach over Christmas and I I was by myself this year. And so it was kind of a windy, rainy day and I had a notebook with me and I started writing down just on a whim what I learned in 2023. And I got up to like 54 lessons like that I had learned and it was so (laughs) cathartic. Yeah. Well, it was a rough year. (laughs) So, but I think it, it was so much, I don't know, it was just awesome. So I feel like that is, there's a lot of truth in that. Well, good. Well, cheers to an awesome 2024. Um, Speaking of reflecting, that's going to kind of be our topic today. Our topic is themes and trends in early productivity. We thought it would be fun to start the year with a conversation around some of the trends that we saw in early productivity in 2023. In order to keep to our 30-minute time frame, we've selected four. Maybe we'll throw in a few extra depending on how we do on time and how deep we go on these topics. But we've got approach meetings versus fact-finding meetings. And we're going to mm-hmm. talk about lives, the lives new client ratio and what we're seeing there. Thirdly, we'll talk about professionalism. And then last, we'll wrap up with communication and positioning of expectations. So let's dive in with the approach meetings versus fact finder. And what I mean by this, I'm, I'm really referring to, to new FRs scheduling mostly approach meetings when they're dialing versus booking yeah. a fact finder. And, you know, while I was coaching across different offices, I started seeing 
the new scene to fact finder ratio really changing. And it was sort of a slow build. Like I noticed it kind of at the beginning of the year, but as the, we got midway through the year and the end of the year, I was seeing more and more of this. And I don't really know where it's coming from, like where new FRs are getting the idea that they should be booking approaches versus fact finders, whether it's coming from veteran reps or from training, et cetera, but they're getting the guidance or the direction from somewhere. So we'll talk a little bit about what to do that. But, you know, Granham never intended the approach to be a separate meeting. Mm -hmm. Um, Rather, it's just the first five to 10 minutes of what an advisor does before they go into the fact finder. But instead, more and more reps are dialing and, you know, setting separate meetings for a 15 minute approach. And so it begs the question, why are they doing this? And like I said, perhaps they're told to, but I, I think it can appear to be an easier way or a softer way. That's what I was thinking. That's what I was going to say. It's easy. It's very casual, right? Very casual. Like, hey, Heather, let's just pencil something in for 15 minutes. Let's grab a cup of coffee. I can tell you what I do, you know, and and they don't want to bother people, right? So I Mm -hmm. do think it is almost a mindset issue. Like it's Mm -hmm. not as big of an ask. It doesn't take as much confidence as it does, you know, to ask for a 15 minute meeting than it does for an hour meeting. But the downside, well, there's a handful of downsides. First and foremost, I think it's a big waste of time. It's a waste of the advisor. Time and it's a waste of the prospect's time too. Like, please don't schedule 10 minutes with me to chat when it's something that we could do at the beginning of a longer meeting. Right, Um, right. Yeah. And be more direct. Just be really direct with people. Be confident in the value that you're providing. The value is in the fact finding meeting, not in that 15 minute introductory meeting. That is where the value is. So if you're really not wanting to waste people's time and and you're wanting to add value, then just go ahead and book the fact finder. The other thing is that it extends the sales cycle. It adds an extra meeting. Now think about it. If you need 25 fact finders in a month, then you're going to have to do at least 25 approaches on top of that in order to get the fact finder. At least. At least. At least. And so that's a lot more meetings. And then what happens Mm -hmm. is it starts skewing all of your numbers and ratios. So now all of a sudden, oh, you kept 60. But in reality, you know, half of those were not point generating, revenue generating meetings. They were just kind of visiting meetings and it it skews the whole process. So Well, and I have to wonder Mm -hmm. what the drop off is from the approach uh-huh. to the fact finder then because mm-hmm. i've cuz i that's definitely a trend that i have seen as well i wonder if people are really tracking because if you spend 10 15 minutes with me and we just chit chat why would i see you again i mean what's the what would be the purpose of it and you know there's a reason you don't get an activity point for an approach meeting because nothing happens and and then people don't prospect which that's the one time I actually agree. I'm like, yeah, why would you prospect? I you haven't done either. anything. Right. I exactly. wouldn't either. I would not be comfortable doing that. So, and, and I think it goes to the old cliche of you never get a second chance to make a first impression. That's your first impression. And if the first impression you're making is, hey, man, this is really casual and easy. And, you know, because the whole process isn't. And I think people are just trying to make it comfortable, but you're also teaching people in that first meeting. That's one of Granham's, you know, his five objectives to the approach, which you can see episode 18, go back and listen to that if you want all that. Um, But one of them is you're teaching people how to expect to do business with you. And you have a great analogy for that about your dental hygienist. Oh, right? yes. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like if you schedule in a meeting with your dental hygienist and you go to get your teeth cleaned and you sit there for 30 minutes and she chit chats and then her next appointment is there and she's like, well, I got to run. You're like, well, wait, wait a second. What did I come here for? I just wasted 30 minutes. I didn't get any benefit from right. it. Right, exactly. And if you think about any other professional, if you went to see a physician, an attorney, mm-hmm. an accountant, you would expect to get down to business immediately. 
right? Yes. Like immediately. I totally agree. You know, the Granum system and the sales cycle works. There is a new advisor that I'm working with and it's he's like in his third or fourth month and he just had this epiphany. <laughs> like, wow, wait a second. I kind of realized the Granum system does work and I should follow it. I'm like, it really does. Don't reinvent the wheel, right? Like, where is I this, know, where is this coming from? Don't well, be- Well, I think- yeah, I think the business has gotten more complicated. So we've drawn, we draw people who are more creative mm -hmm. sometimes yeah, maybe. and they get bored with the mundane rinse mm -hmm. and repeat yeah. kind of thing. And, yeah. and I think the other thing is people don't like canned language because if you think about the approach language that you're taught in training, it's what less than three minutes long. Mm -hmm. I mean, what you say to it's the whole point of it is to open the door to the fact finder right then and there. Right. And, and people don't use that language so then they get lost, yeah. right? They yep. don't know what to say. They don't know how to do it. And, you know, so that's the other thing is use the language that you're providing. It's there for a reason. Exactly. So obviously our audience is mostly activity coaches. So as an activity coach, what can you be doing about this? Number one, obviously awareness is key. Pay attention. Look at the numbers. If you see this happening, if you see a lot of new scenes compared to fact finders, be looking at those two columns, right? They're right next to each other in the blue book. Start asking some questions. Who suggested this approach to you? Tell me, you know, what's behind your decision to be setting approaches versus, I mean, nine times out of 10, it's a confidence issue and they just have to break the habit and they need to change their language. That is the one of the challenging parts is they've gotten used to their dialing language being a certain way. And so in order to switch back to setting fact finders, there usually needs to be a little tweak in the language. I would say have a conversation with the veteran reps and your joint work partners as well. You know, maybe the joint work partner is in a unique market. They're calling on doctors or something and, and it works for them or they're more established in their business. And so they're doing, I, I don't know what the reason is, but just make sure that veteran reps, that mentors, that joint work partners are all on the same page that when it comes to developing new advisors, we are not promoting setting the approach on the fact finder. Just make sure everybody's on the same page. And I already talked about like digging into their confidence, you know, discussing the downsides of the approach and so on. And then the other thing that I used to do all the time was ask them, what, tell me the sentence that you use to transition into the fact finder. Like, do you ask a first question? You know, what do you do to transition? And they usually look at me like a deer in headlights, you know, like, what do you mean? The other thing, and, and this is one of the stats that's not really granum, it's just one that I've used over the years. And that is what percentage of your appointments that you keep are facts and opens or closes? Because if it's, if it's less than 80%, you've got a lot of approaches in there. And that's an easy way to tell. Because I always tell activity coaches, I'm sure you do too, when someone tells you they kept three and they did a fact and an open and didn't have any closes, you immediately <laughs> ask them, what was the other about meeting? the other two. Yeah, uh -huh. tell me what those other two meetings were. Because you can uncover this very quickly early on in your activity coaching. And then that's the time to do it. Address it before it becomes a bad habit, for sure. All right, let's move on to some of the changes that we've seen, I would say, honestly, the last couple years, but it's been becoming more apparent to me this last year, but that's the live's new client ratio. Do you want to take this one, Sabina? Yes, yes, I should wax <laughs> yep. on this all day long. <laughs> so, well, and so what's happened is because reps can do so much more in a household, it used to be that ratio was too low. Like you'd have one household and you'd have, you know, eight or nine lives because you maybe you had two adults and a couple of kids and, you know, you wanted life and yeah, and all that kind of stuff. Well, because now there's a big shift to focusing on new clients, people go in with the idea of getting a new client. And so they're maybe not upfront or as quickly as they might normally doing the whole planning process, you know, and 
So it's hard to say. So now it's getting now it's getting too high, right? So it went from not being direction. high enough and it's going in the other direction. And you always think, oh, higher is better, right? But in this case, no. I mean, you want to have, let's put it this way, in the first like three years or so, like two to three years, it should be about 60 to 70% of your lives should be new clients. And then it's going to drop off after you get past your fifth year because you're going to be working more with your client base. And I think the other thing is too, and we've gotten the whole quest to, you know, the magnificent obsession to get to a thousand active households, that is pretty universally accepted as about half now, right? So the goal over your career is to build about half of that, four to 500. However, I think people take that all the way back to the beginning. Like, oh, I only have to do half the number of new clients. Like, nope, the first, those first five years are still the heavy duty client building phase where that percentage of lives to new clients is going to be higher. And you can't get away from that. It doesn't mean you can cut the whole career in half, right? It just means that after about five years, you can then start, you know, segmenting and maybe, you know, doing your ABCs and, you know, maybe giving some to a newer rep or a a team, you know, maybe you're building a team or something like that, but you still have to do the right, the heavy duty numbers in those first five years. So don't think that you can go 50% right off the bat, if that makes sense. I think, you know, I remember the days, it just seemed like in the past, we talked so much more about cross-selling opportunities. And I don't hear as many conversations about that anymore. And it really is, it's about holistic planning. We tout holistic planning all the time and how important it is, but yet we incent the new clients. And I get it. It's, you know, it is what it is. I don't understand why it always has to be an or. It should be both. It's new clients and lives. We kind of bounce back and forth like lives, 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 pay setter first 40. And now it's like client builder, client builder, you know, new clients, new clients. So yeah, it can be an and. And I think we need to get back to asking questions when we're in activity coaching, when we see that, you know, they have a case open or that they're prepping for a close, like, all right, who are you working with? Who are you doing case prep with? What are you going to be presenting? Making sure that somebody is looking out for that cross-selling opportunity and the holistic planning piece of it. Because that cross-selling really is the planning, right? Like that's the planning piece. It means that you're putting all the pieces in place and they have a, there's a report, I think it's a cross-selling report that shows you of all the households that you have, how many have all the products, you know, and I'm always shocked and appalled really when I see that at how few households have a full plan that covers all of the things that you can do for them. And now I will immediately put a caveat on that. So I understand that as you work with people over a long career, their needs change and there's going to be a time when maybe they don't need their disability anymore and they've got, you know, but at the peak of their earning power and their potential, they should have everything if you're doing a good job planning because that's really what it is. Yeah. And, you know, where I've noticed this kind of picked up on that theme is Many of the offices that I'm working with have included me, which I so appreciate their weekly updates on where their new advisors are at towards working towards, you know, new clients and lives. And they've got them together. And I see people get to their sixth month mark and they're at 25, 26 new clients and 25 or 26 lives. I'm like, wait a second. That should, they should not be the same. <laughs> right. No. They're, that's, that's worrisome. Even in a single needs market, you know, because that's a pushback I get a lot as well. I'm, you know, I'm in this market where it's a lot of young and single people. And I'm like, well, they still have need for disability, especially and some other. So people want to give the quick answer. And then when you really start to dig in a little bit, they're like, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. And they want to go the easy route. It kind of goes back to that is another trend kind of going off 
our topics here, but another trend that I have seen over this last year is, I don't want to say people going the easy way out, but people afraid to step out of their comfort zone. And that's where growth comes from. And I see it mostly with role play. We used to do so much role play as a system, putting people on the spot. You know, we would do layup drills and pick a, you know, what do you call it? You know, an objection. Yeah, an objection out of the hat and they have to answer it. And I know that offices still do that, but it feels like the amount of that is not there anymore. We're kind of squeamish about making our reps feel uncomfortable and they don't really like, you know, they don't really like to do it in front of a group. And I'm okay with that. If they don't want to do it in front of a group, that's fine. But then somebody needs to be doing it one-on-one with that advisor in whatever environment makes it the most effective for them. But yeah, I think we've gotten so soft on pushing people out of their comfort zone. Well, and and we have to understand, I think we're, we've tried so hard to make this not a sales business, mm-hmm. right? I just think you have to, well, we can talk more about that in the messaging part, but you just have to recalibrate what you think about that because selling is a dirty word. But if you think about it, it's just getting people to do something they wouldn't do without your influence. That's really influence. to their to their betterment, you know, and, and that's the other thing is, is people are afraid to push people. I don't want to bother them. I don't want to push them. I'm like, if you go to see a doctor and the doctor's like, oh, you know, this is, this is your situation. You can do whatever you want about it. I mean, you want them to tell you what to do because they're the expert. That's the same thing that these reps are forgetting sometimes that they're looking to you to guide them. And that it's in your best interest. I'm not going to lie. I'm getting yes. a little annoyed at Freighter for calling me a thousand times to get my mammogram scheduled, but I know that yeah. they're doing it because they <laughs> care. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right? Oh, and, uh, yeah. Anyway. All right. So that's Live's new client ratio. Let's go on to topic number three, which is professionalism. And my guess is when we say professionalism, people right away are going to think of dress, you know, or appearance, and that is a big part of it. Um, but there's so much more to professionalism than just the way people, what they're wearing. And Sabina, you and I have talked about this, but since COVID, I think as a professional business society, we've really kind of fallen apart. Yeah. The pandemic has wreaked havoc on professionalism, right? It's like we we forgot how to act in public. I know. And I'll be the first to admit, like literally I put on a pair of jeans in December and was like, holy moly, like I'm constantly in, I'm, I'm very professional on top, but I usually have sweats or leggings or whatever on, on the bottom. So I get it. There are some areas like that, I believe, right, where we can have some some wiggle room. But let me, I want to give you some real world examples of what I'm seeing that has led me to believe that professionalism is kind of on the down low. So I will say, please don't look like you just crawled out of bed. The number of people that show up in a meeting and their hair, literally, I'm like, did you put a brush to your hair? And it's one thing, What I, I don't care what your hairstyle is, but it should be groomed, whether it's long or toss, whatever, it just should be groomed. Clean it tidy. Clean it should be tidy. tidy. Right, exactly. You know, wrinkled t-shirts like you just rolled out of bed, baseball cap, that sort of thing. I wish I had a penny for every time as a coach I heard, oh, yeah, you know, I say something to them like, oh, you've got a baseball cap on it. Oh, yeah, well, I'll change it before my first meeting. And I'm like, well, wait, what are we? Are, am, I not, am I not a meeting? What, what is this? You know, I don't count. You got to call that stuff out because it's a slippery slope and somebody needs to tell them and it's your job to tell them. Not, a, you know, not everybody's going to say something. So you have to remember the business that you're in right? That you're not working in an art gallery. You're not working at a tech startup. You're working in what is still a pretty conservative business. You're asking to be the steward of people's financial future. You're asking to be a key player with their money. And they have, that's a big deal. I feel like it's a really big deal. And and one thing that I think 
it, it's so old fashioned, but it's still true is a handshake, right? How do you shake hands? Like think about your handshake. Cause when someone shakes my, I mean, you judge, you, you judge when someone shakes your hand, I, I, or at least I do, I, I shouldn't say everybody does, but if somebody shakes my hand. I'm like, well, that was pretty weak, you know, or if they're squeezing it, like they want to break my bones. I'm like, yeah, I get it. You're stronger than me. You know, I, I mean, but there's something to be said, a confidence in a good handshake. There is in today's day and age with how much virtual we're doing, that handshake opportunity is gone. So I think there are other things that we have to teach people to do. Yes. And these are some of the other examples that I had listed under like what you need to do to be professional. First of all, I know this sounds silly, but it happens to me all the time. Turn your camera on. How awkward is it when two people get on a meeting and one person's camera's on and the other isn't? So I'll <laughs> say, man. I will point blank say, are you going to turn your camera on? Because if not, I will be turning mine off because this is really awkward. And then they kind of laugh and they're like, oh, sorry, sure. you know. And then they turn it on. But when you don't turn your camera on right away, their focus is not on what we're talking about. It's like, what are they doing behind, yeah, exactly. behind closed door, behind whatever, yeah. the black screen? Well, what are, what, what are, are you afraid to show me? Yes, you know? exactly. Yeah. It's just not, it's not professional. The other thing is use a professional virtual background if you aren't in a professional setting. So, you know, nobody needs to know where you sleep, right? They don't need to know what your pantry looks like, you know, if you're hiding in your pantry or whatever. It's not hard to put a virtual background on. So I would encourage you to do that. You know, I have to share, I have a 23-year-old and she was interviewing for jobs recently and the number of group interviews that she had where they didn't even turn their sound on. Everybody was muted on purpose and they never even had an opportunity to talk. There would be, you know, 15 people on this first interview and it was basically them sharing information and she said I don't understand why they're even doing this and I said I bet I could figure it out I wasn't in that meeting but tell me a little bit about who else was on who were the other 14 people and she said mom there were people in bed like literally lying in bed there were people that had on you know like literally create uh, I mean the silly stuff that they were wearing and this was for an interview so if that's how they show up for an interview what are they going to do you know when, once they get comfortable yeah I I think sometimes people forget when you do have your camera on, you forget that people see you and they see, you know, it's not, even though you're not in the same room, you shouldn't be like digging wax Flipping out of your, your ears nails. Yeah, stuff, exactly. You know? yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so this and is there, a funny, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say when you, now that we're on virtual, that's something I think we sort of were forced to go to that world. And now people use it a lot, but we've never really taught people how to be virtual and professional, right? Like you still have to pay, you have to pay more attention and you have to be more dialed in. You can't be, I think some people think, oh yeah, I can be doing 47 other things because they're never going to know what I'm doing with my hands and I'm looking at my phone out the side of my eye and whatever. But people do know that. Oh, sure they do. Yeah. Because you can create an atmosphere virtually, just like you would if you were in person. You absolutely can. And it goes back to what you said about the handshake. What are the other things that you can do to show them that you are engaged? If you can't shake their hand, keep your camera on, make eye contact. If you're looking at everything else and not making eye contact with them, that's clearly a problem. You can still pick up on body language and facial cues and those kinds of things. Cause I do that all the time, but we do it in our clinics. You know, we'll see, we'll have a dozen people and still be able to say, Hey, Heather, I just saw it. Look, you look like you had a question because sometimes when you're you know, if you've got more than one person on the call, it's hard to jump in and ask the question or say what you want. So it's just a different set of professional standards to some extent. And I think people don't think through or give a whole lot of thought to small things in regards to how they show up. I literally had a rep from Northwestern Mutual that I was coaching and he had on a prudential 
or principal, I don't remember, polo. <laughs> I was like, I said, what are you wearing? And he was like, oh yeah, I'll take it off before I get to the office. I'm like, what? You know, you put that on today. Like you are wearing that and you are on a call with me. Like what? I mean, just the like, stuff that people don't them, think about. Did you even get that? Yeah. I, yeah, I have no idea. But some of the stuff people do just like blows my mind. But other things like professionalism means being on time. I know now that we're in a virtual world, it's so much easier to be more efficient and we can have back-to-back meetings because we don't have travel time. But that doesn't mean that meetings can run over and that you can't, you know, we still need to be on time and then be professional in your approach, right? We talked about this, Sabina, we're dealing with people's finances. So you have to take it seriously, not apologetically, like approach people very direct, tell them why you want to meet, tell them the value that you're going to provide, not, oh, hey, let's get together and have a cup of coffee or just chat. It's like, no, you have a job to do, right? Let's be direct and clear, clear. People are attracted to clarity. Let's be direct and clear about why we want to meet with people. It's just more professional. Well, and sometimes the the other thing that I see around that is people get very casual about setting the appointment, but then their made to kept ratio drops tremendously. Because when you're very casual about setting the appointment and somebody's day goes sideways, you're the first thing that goes, right? Because they're like, oh, well, this was just pencil. This wasn't really a big deal anyway. Exactly. So true. So true. All right. Do you want to take our last topic? The last thing I want to talk about is messaging, messaging and communication, because it's so critical and it's more complicated than I think people give it credit for. So for example, I think just by necessity, there's always a lot of mixed messaging going on, right? At the different levels of leadership, at leadership mentors, your peers, your family and friends. I mean, you want to know where people are getting their messaging and what it means. You can't control the messages that people get from other places, but you can control being consistent with your messages. One of the things that I see a lot is people in leadership revise the message because people, the audience doesn't like it, right? Like tell people you've got to, you've got to get a hundred lives. Oh, that's too hard. Okay. Well, well, well then, you know, 75 is is fine too. It's okay. It's okay. (laughs) You know? And I think that just what you were talking about, we're afraid to push people. We're afraid. I feel like our messaging has gotten stuck in the minimum arena, you know, like we're trying to coach people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We have to be, I think, more aspirational. I think of it as aspirational in the messaging. Don't focus on the least amount of stuff that can be done to get by. Focus on the growth opportunity. It's a much harder sell, right? But that's what people want. People are drawn to that. They know it's going to be difficult. It's easy to coach to minimums, right? Because you're, it's, we've talked about it before, you know, you're always trying to save people and it makes you feel good that you got somebody to be able to keep their contract, but to what end? I think positioning the message around aspirations is that this is an unlimited business. So let's talk about the steps that you you go to, to get to that unlimited opportunity. You know, it's much more challenging to deliver the gift of high expectations message. People don't always like you. It doesn't always make them comfortable. There's always going to be some resistance to the higher level messaging, but that resistance will wear away over time. I think repetition and consistency are critical at the high end of messaging, just because People have to know that your message is solid and you believe it. If you're waffling in your own messaging as a leader to the people that you're leading, they're going to be like, oh, well, it must not be that important or it must not be that solid, you know, or something. So there are a couple of examples I think of when I think of messaging and new clients is definitely one of them. There's lots of different mixed messaging levels of communication around new clients, right? What I tell activity coaches all the time 
coach to the highest number, coach to the Granum number, you're going to pick up all the other stuff. You're going to get the EPV money. You're going to get the, the new client bonus money. If you coach to the highest number, you're going to get everything else that's that's on offer along the way, right? If you just are coaching to the lowest common denominator, you're not going to, you're, and then you can't, you can't then sit back and wonder why your office isn't growing or why your new reps aren't producing more. Nobody does big things without someone first looking at them and saying, Hey, I believe that you can do this. And people are not, remember the success cycle, right? People are like, who me? I don't know. I don't know. Yes. I believe in you. I believe in you. And I think you can do way better. I think you have the capacity to grow tremendously and fast. And then you've got to, you got to pull them along for a while. It's just, it requires a lot more of you as a coach to deliver that higher calling aspirational messaging. But really when you look at, I always would encourage everybody who's listening to this to look at how your office messages things and to think about if there's opportunity there to get closer to the aspirational end of communication than just, you know, hey, this is the minimum you need to do. So just, you know, get here and then we'll talk about what's next. No, you want to talk, you want to start at the top. Just being cautious what you incent to and how you incent because, you know, you don't want to coach to the average. It's kind of like thinking, Okay, only, what is it, 10%, 11% of new advisors, I don't know what the exact number is anymore, hit pay set or first 40. So it's like, eh, only 10% are going to get it. So it's like, eh, if, if they don't get it, it's it's fine. And the next thing you know, you're coaching to the just fine. You know, you're not coaching to the, it's like you got to shoot, you have to coach them to the stars, right? What is that expression? So they land somewhere. Shoot for the moon. Shoot for and the if moon. You, even if yeah. you miss, you land among the stars. Exactly. And that's the thing. Yeah. Yep. So I think we have to get back to giving the gift of high expectations and truly seeing it as a gift, coaching them to the nth degree, what should be possible, not to what they're seeing around them. And like, oh, well, we only had two or three pay setters or, you know, this many people that hit this many clients. So it's like, oh, yeah, you'll do fine. I mean, people will look around them and they'll see the results. You have to show them and continue to encourage and remind them that it's possible for them to do more. People want to be a part of something that's big and exciting and growing. Everybody isn't going to be a top 2% producer, but as long as people imagine that you had an office where the lowest level of productivity was million dollar roundtable, right? Like that was the low end. That's what you want to get to so that you're always raising the minimum bar because you're coaching way beyond it. You want to have a group of reps who go through their entire career, never even knowing what the minimums are like, oh, I I didn't even know we had minimums, you know, because you're so far beyond them. Yeah, exactly. I do think minimums are really important, but then you have to be very clear on what you're coaching to. I'm not saying coach to them, but they do need to know that there are minimums. I would encourage people to go back to our first, I think it's the second episode maybe that we did. We did a whole episode on expectations. I think it was the second one. Um, But go back to that and and listen to it again. Make sure you know the difference between minimums and expectations and that you're, you're truly coaching to the expectation. I think of minimums as a safety net, right? Like we're not going to let you fall below that because then we know you're not going to make it and we're going to transition you out. You know, we're going to help you find your calling elsewhere. Well, those are just four. I could, I have thoughts on joint work. I have thoughts on, you know, again, going back to our brief conversation about stepping outside of the comfort zone. I am seeing more and more people. I think joint work is changing. We'll save that for a conversation another day. But I hope that our listeners were able to take away a couple ideas, some things to tighten your systems, tighten your communication, help your reps be more professional, obviously schedule more fact-finding meetings, and just have an awesome 2024 ahead of them. So absolutely. All right. Well, one last final note, we do have our 2024 clinic dates up on our website. So if you're interested in continuing to develop your own skills or onboard a new coach, definitely check those out. Otherwise, we look forward to seeing you back here next time for our uh, next episode. Have a great day. All right. Bye. 
Thanks for joining us today for Activity Coaching Conversations with Heather and Sabina. If you found value in this conversation, please like, share, and leave a review in your favorite podcast app. And to learn more about our activity coaching clinics and how to hone your skills, visit heatherpriceconsulting.com. Link is in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. Keep learning and growing.